Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on making sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of Market Matters, we discuss the latest news and trends shaping markets today. Hi, I'm Eloise Goulder, head of the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at J.P. Morgan. Today, I'm so pleased to be joined by Peng Cheng, who is head of big data and AI strategies in our global research department, for what I think is our third instalment of a podcast together over the last year. So Peng, thank you so much for joining me here today. It's my pleasure. Great. And Peng, what a year it's been for your specific role and remit. I think we can safely say that AI has never had such airtime as it has in markets this year. So you must be exhausted. Yeah, I mean, there has certainly been an explosive uh, growth of interest in AI. But same as everybody else, we're still in the exploratory stage. So we're having a lot of client dialogues this year. Yeah, I bet. On the topic of AI then, could you high level talk to all the work you've done here over the last few months since we last sat down together? Yeah, I think on the topic of AI, we have two main pillars in our research. One is the large language models and natural language processing. I think that's what everybody is very familiar with since every one of us has seen ChatGPT and has dominated everybody's attention. So our work in this space is represented by SmartBuzz, which is our proprietary sentiment analysis engine. So we can go into that a little bit later. But a separate an equally important pillar is how do we directly apply the advancements in AI modeling to time series forecasting, specifically the time series that are of interest to us, namely returns and volatility of assets. So this area has probably received a little bit less attention in the media, but to us it's equally important and if anything more differentiating. That's fascinating. Thank you, Peng. So can we take each of those topics in turn then? And start with your sentiment work. I mean, what exactly are you doing here? Yeah, so we have a product called SmartBuzz. It is our AI-powered natural language processing engine. So what it does is that it's a model that monitors new sentiments on 2,000 global companies from the global news flow, and it does so on 165 themes. Let me give an example. We can track the sentiment of dividend-paying capacity of a stock And what it does is it scans the news articles, which mentions the stock, and it scans for the keywords, which includes terms like dividends, but also related terms like share buybacks and repurchases. And then what it will do is it will evaluate the sentiment using our NLP model trained on JP Morgan data. And then it's going to produce a score between positive 100 and minus 100%, indicating positive or negative sentiments on specifically the dividend-paying aspects of the stock. Interesting. And I'd imagine you have a time series of this data. So what exactly is the use case for this data for the investing community? So the use case is actually quite widespread for this kind of sentiment analysis. And I think it is a powerful tool for both systematic and discretionary investors. In terms of systematic investors, we've done the backtest using this data. So we basically go long stocks with a positive sentiment mentions on their financials and go short stocks with negative sentiment mentions on their financials. And what we find is that the positive stocks outperform the negative stocks up to 10 days after the news mention. And in terms of magnitude, they outperform by 35 basis points over this period. 
And when it comes to discretionary investors, I think the use case can be equally interesting. Specifically, we look at sentiment at the theme level, and this can help us understand the drivers of uh, price dynamics, not only at a single stock level, but we can aggregate to sector, country, or the market level. So for instance, we can regress the sentiment on a theme at the market level against changes in the VIX in order to quantify this relationship. It helps us make informed statements such as VIX is up two points today, 60% of which is attributable to inflation and 40% to earnings risk, for instance. That's really helpful. So there's both an alpha generating systematic type value to this data set. And then there's also that attribution explainability type value for any investor. That makes sense. And it sounds really powerful. Just on the systematic investors and the systematic alpha you identified there, how are you seeing that alpha profile evolve? And I ask that because I know that sentiment as a topic is becoming more and more discussed and presumably more and more widely used within the investing community. So are you finding that the alpha you can find here, buying stocks with positive sentiment, that's waning at all over time? This kind of signal has been discussed quite extensively in the academic literature over the last uh, number of years. So it is not something new, but it is still predicated on the assumption that information does not get immediately priced into asset prices. So we do find that the alpha decay quite rapidly on new sentiment. And it only lasts for a relatively short period of time. So like I said, after 10 days, alpha decays completely. So you know, it's probably a little bit unrealistic to expect it to last uh, weeks or months. I think there are a couple of reasons. Number one is, at the end of the day, information diffuses quite quickly, so they will get priced in in a relatively short period of time. But also, you know, sentiment signal itself can be quite volatile. So one day you can have a news article that says everything's great about a stock, and the next day and a news article can come out saying the opposite. So the volatility of signal itself also contributes to the alpha decay. Having said that, we do find that the sentiment signal is strengthened by combining it with something that is more slow-moving, but also related, which is the flow and positioning data. So when you do that, we find that they're not exact substitutes of each other, but they complement each other. And when we do lead lag analysis, we also don't find that one being a completely lean indicator of the other, and they lead lag each other. So they add to the alpha signal to each other. And therefore, when combined together, they actually do a better job in predicting stock returns. That's so interesting. And I wanted to come to that because, of course, you and I have discussed this at length in the past when talking about the US retail investor and this idea that when we see the US retail investor buy, that also tends to be a momentum signal for markets over the next five to 10 trading days, let's say. What do you think the lines of causation are here? Do you think that when positive news sentiment hits, it takes investors a number of days to then react to that and price that in? And or do you think that when that positive news hits, the retail investor is more likely to engage in the stock and want to buy the stock? How do you think this all plays out? So it's not strictly one leading the other. Basically, the dynamics, in our view, works as follows. Let's say if uh, positive news hits, then it will entice investors to flow 
then it will entice investors to flow into the stock and stock price reacts, which in itself could generate more news because volatility in the stock itself is news. And on the back of that, you know, new sentiments could improve because of positive price action and yeah. so on and so forth. So there could be self-reinforcing effects. Yeah, it's a great point. And I know, Peng, you and your team have been onto this topic for a long period of time. And therefore, I'd assume that you developed quite sophisticated mechanisms behind both how you calculate sentiment and also the data on which you capture that sentiment, the news data and the training models and mechanisms you use. Can you speak to that at all? And can you speak to how and why you believe that your techniques are differentiated? So model-wise, we use open source model called MPNet. So this is a slightly older model, but it still uses pretty sophisticated neural network along the lines of uh, ChatGPT. So what differentiates our analysis is the data that we train it on. We use JP Morgan proprietary data. Specifically, we use JP Morgan analyst research reports, uh, as well as uh, our own set of labelings. And this teaches the model to identify relationships between keywords. For example, it understands that Apple is related to Samsung and iPhone, right? Yeah. And it also understands that overweight is a positive word in the finance context. Yeah. So by being finance-specific, domain-specific, even though we use a model that is slightly older than the latest GPT, we find that when we benchmark against GPT in finance-specific tasks, such as sentiment analysis on news headlines, they perform about in line. And of course, the plan in the future for us is to also evaluate the latest technology as well. So down the line, we could very well replace our existing model with more state-of-the-art natural language processing model as well. That's really helpful and, and great to know. Thank you, Peng. So we've discussed how systematic investors might want to use this data as an alpha signal. Can we just turn to the discretionary investors and how they can use this data to help explain what's going on in markets? And can we turn to the present? Is there anything you can glean from this data that really helps us contextualize and understand markets today? Yeah, so for discretionary investors... One of the very interesting use cases we have done is to analyze the market moves uh, as a function of a thematic sentiment. So as mentioned before, we actually identify a few categories of concerns of the market, things like inflation, recession, and then we observe how sentiment changes on those categories versus how market volatility changes. Mm. Um, at the beginning of this year, when we ran the analysis, we find that uh, commodity prices and inflation were the top categories driving up market anxiety and therefore driving up volatility. But more recently, we have found that they have taken a back seat. Mm. And the top categories now are things like market slowdown and earnings risk. So I think this kind of suggests to us that market concerns have moved on from inflation to potential weakness or recession in the economy, which if you think about it in terms of market narrative also makes sense. So our model produces something that's quite intuitive to discretionary investors. Totally. So intuitive, but amazing that it's actually playing out in your data. Thank you for that. So before we move on to your second set of AI-related work, is there anything final that you want to say about your sentiment analysis? And, and importantly, can you explain what the name of the data set is and how our investing audience can access some of this? Our product is called Smart Buzz. It's available on JP Morgan Markets. If you go onto our webpage, Investable AI, you'll be able to access uh, the latest data produced by Smart Buzz. Like I mentioned, it is available on MSCI Country World, 
stocks globally, and the data is updated on a daily basis. So you'll be able to see today what the sentiment on any specific stock or any specific category. It's quite interesting and I encourage uh, all of our listeners to go and check it out. Definitely. So can we turn now to the other major source of AI research that you mentioned at the beginning then? So time series forecasting. What exactly are you doing here? Yeah, so besides large language models, can we actually utilize the advancements of uh, AI modeling directly to forecast uh, time series of the greatest interests? which are basically returns on volatility of assets. So obviously there's been a breakthrough in AI compared to previous models, right? What is this breakthrough in ChatGPT? It's basically the ability to retain memory better. In previous models like a recurrent neural network or LSTM, you know, more recent inputs are given more importance than more distant inputs. But I'm sure you agree, Alois, in conversations, it is also more valuable to retain long-term memory. So this proves to be a problem for these older models. Yeah. But in 2017, Google came up with a new model, which is called an attention-based model. And it provides a solution to this memory retention problem. In essence, it allows complete flexibility in assigning attention to historical inputs so that you know long-term memory can be better retained. This is basically un- the underlying technology that powers the GPT model. And then if we look at the development in AI and look for areas of applications in time series forecasting, the first thing that comes to mind is volatility. Why is that? It's because volatility has a very strong memory feature. Days of high volatility tends to lead to more days of high volatility, and days of low volatility leads to more days of low volatility. So we apply this attention-based model to volatility forecasting, and we find that it outperforms existing models such as Garage significantly. And the principle is basically similar because, again, financial markets have very persistent memory. So models that are better at retaining long-term memory capture this property better than traditional models. Definitely. And I guess when we think about the man versus the machine and the human versus the models, the models now have this advantage in retaining that long-term memory that we as humans may not have. Do you see that as part of the advantage? Uh, I would actually put it another way. I would say that humans naturally retain a very long memory. For example, you and I remember what happened to the market not only yesterday or two days ago, but we remember what happened back in 2020, COVID pandemic, back in 2008, right, the subprime crisis. Mm-hmm. But even if on time periods that we haven't experienced, we know what happened, such as you know Black Monday, uh, 1987, or the Great Depression. So I think humans naturally have this kind of long-term memory retention, but it was just not able to be captured by existing models because of limitations in computational power. But thanks to the advancements in computational power, we're now able to capture and model this property in the market better. So that's what I would say uh, is the interaction between humans and machines. It is not that machines are doing better than humans in remembering things, but it's kind of mimicking the behavior of humans better now. Fascinating. Thank you. So you've touched there on forecasting volatility, but I think you mentioned at the beginning that you also use these models to forecast future returns. Is that right? 
Yeah, returns is a much more interesting problem and a much more challenging problem. So we're experimenting with forecasting returns using this attention mechanism as well. Over there, it's probably a little bit less obvious because it's not so clear that equity returns retain a very long-term memory. But why not try to experiment with it anyway, right? So we yeah. use the attention-based model and benchmark it against several other models, including simple rule-based models like trend following or other more classical, simpler machine learning models. So even though it is just a preliminary study, but we find some very interesting patterns that emerge from the results anyway. Uh, in general, we find that nonlinear models outperform linear models, and more complex models outperform less complex models. And not many models actually beat the market, but the more complex ones do. Uh, and we define complexity of a model in a more kind of technical term by how much training time scales with the data. So, for example, a linear complexity model means three times more data requires three times more time to train. And uh, like I said, you know, it's not so easy to beat the market and... The ones that do so are the ones with exponential computational complexity, and all the ones with linear complexity underperform the market. Fortunately, attention model is an example with exponential complexity, and the other model that has this feature is uh, support vector machine. Uh, these two do better than longly. This implies that the market has already priced in all the simple models, and the computational alpha has yet to be eroded only for the more complex models. And I also want to note that this kind of model complexity is not free lunch. Just because we have more complicated models does not guarantee higher performance of our strategy. It also needs to be accompanied by higher quality data. Definitely. And I want to hone in on, on that data point. But before we go there, it's so helpful to hear you articulate the benefits of these models, the fact that you found that nonlinear models outperform linear models and that more complex models outperform less complex models. And again, coming back to our man versus machine debate, isn't it true that the machine in this case is better at identifying the nonlinear relationships and in creating the more complex models? Yeah, I think uh, linearity versus nonlinearity. I think we all agree our world is uh, nonlinear and uh, linear models are at best a first order approximation. So it is no surprise that nonlinear models outperform linear ones. When it comes to why more complex models outperform the less complex ones, I would probably have to guess that. Given the market is so efficient, a lot of the market participants are already adopting less complex models in making investment decisions. So this part of the computational alpha is gone. And it's only models that require more intellectual capital and more computational power will differentiate themselves from the commonly used less complex models and therefore extract alpha from existing market data. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's worth giving a nod, I think, at this stage to our colleague in the Investable Indices team, Frederick Yatch, who has also had many of these discussions with you and with me, including on this podcast series. And he discusses this concept of computational alpha, where the alpha itself exists in the nuance and the sophistication and the complexity of the model. 
So I guess, Peng, you agree with that view. Is that right? I think that models that require higher intellectual capacity and capital as well as computational power delivers better performance than the ones that require less is a very intuitive result. So I agree with with that view. Brilliant. So turning to data then, you mentioned that the quality of the data is key. I'm not at all surprised to hear that. How exactly do you go about finding and creating and sourcing that high quality data? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. When we talk about high quality data, maybe people will first think about, okay, do I have to go and buy proprietary expensive data? But I would say that a lot of the work is actually simply at the data cleaning side and data regularization side. Uh, Given the existing data, we find that if you can increase the frequency of observation, it reduces the noise quite significantly. So let's say, for example, if we measure volatility at high frequency, five minute interval, it improves the performance greatly compared to close to close volatility. Besides that, as I said, things like data cleaning, normalization, regularization also help a lot. So I think the first step is probably to apply these kind of uh, techniques, these kind of treatments to the existing data before looking for more expensive, uh, more proprietary data sources. That makes sense. And how important would you say having long-term data is in your processes? I mean, you talk about memory and attention and the fact that you and I might remember the 1970s and the 1980s. That must mean that you need to reflect those years in your data that you feed into your models. Yeah, it's definitely preferable to have longer history than shorter history. Although even with a relatively short history, some of these attention model already outperform uh, the more classical model. Uh, I would say that how long a history do you require for your strategy really depends on what you're doing. When you try to have long horizon forecasts like monthly returns, you definitely need a long-term history for the features. On the other hand, for high-frequency returns, long-term slow-moving data like macroeconomic data or company earnings, they're not going to vary from one tick to the next. So there are relatively limited high-frequency features uh, that we find useful, things like order book information. And so that's why we don't necessarily fixate too much on the history of the data if you're doing high-frequency analysis. It is also important to note that uh, the features don't have to be at the same frequency as the target variable. Even if we want to forecast monthly returns or quarterly GDP, we can actually use daily data or even high-frequency data to do it. And actually, a neural network is very unique in that it is very well suited to handle those kind of problems using high-frequency data to forecast low-frequency data. So actually, that's another way of uh, improving the quality of the features. So I'd love to touch on the pros and the cons of using these sorts of techniques versus all the other investment strategies that you've looked at. I'd imagine on the pros side, the ability for these techniques to identify nonlinear relationships and more complex relationships is great. Are there other key benefits to these investment strategies that you'd want to highlight to our audience? I would say that there is still considerable debate in our community on whether machine learning model merits attention at all. A lot of studies show that linear regression outperforms more complex models, which seems to be contradictory to 
our findings. But I think the reason for those kind of uh, results is that the data is limited in their study or the data is not clean enough. So that makes the model complexity a burden instead of a benefit. But assuming, like for like, you have high quality data and a large quantity of data, then higher complexity do improve the performance. And as I just noted, higher quality and quantity of data is not so out of reach for most investors. We can a lot of times apply numerical techniques like regularization and normalization and it already improves the performance of the strategies. Moreover, there are a large number of uh, existing machine learning models and the new ones continue to be developed. So how does one know which model to choose? I would say our analysis offers a potential direction for model selection so that an investor can navigate the infinite universe of models given their finite amount of time. Thank you, Peng. And and what about correlations? I mean, do you find that the conclusions here in terms of alpha profiles are less correlated with some of the fundamental linear strategies that we're so familiar with? Yeah, that's actually a great question. So in our study, we actually used very common features, the same ones as the momentum strategies. Let's say, okay, we try to use historical returns of volatility to forecast future returns on volatility. But momentum strategies are generally rule-based. Their parameters are not trained dynamically, whereas our parameters are trained and optimized dynamically. So what we find is actually they're not simple substitutes or slight enhancements of momentum strategies. They actually do much better than momentum strategies. Mm. So there is a considerable orthogonality to the existing uh, strategies, even though the features we use are very similar. Thank you. And then turning to the cons or the pitfalls or the difficulties and challenges with these techniques, what would you say to that? Yeah, I think a lot of people, again, on the other end of the spectrum, may perceive that complex models are all-powerful and can deliver results as long as we just dump large amounts of data into them. In practice, we find that it's actually the opposite, right? Complex models require cleaner, higher quality data than simple models. Mm. So data cleaning is very, very important. And moreover, when we design these models with the complexity, it also requires very thoughtful treatments on model architecture. And that is not trivial. People oftentimes complain about instability or unexplainability of deep learning models. We find that oftentimes it is due to poor data quality or poor model design. So before even training the model, a lot of thoughts have to go into data and model design. And that's something that requires domain knowledge and a considerable amount of experience. Great. So thank you, Peng. You've gone through the background to your Smart Buzz sentiment work, and you've also discussed your latest work around using machine learning techniques for time series forecasting for both vol and direction of market. So before we end, can I just ask you my usual age-old question of what's next? What's on your plate? What are clients asking you for? On the data side, Smart Buzz, we're looking to expand from news articles to earnings call transcripts. 
We are also looking to enhance the model. Like I said, we use a slightly older model. We're evaluating whether newer models like GPT will improve the performance. And eventually, we look to offer this as a data feed for our clients. And I think this is differentiating from what's available in the market because we train it on high-quality JP Morgan proprietary data. And on the other side, which is time series forecasting, the modeling side, after demonstrating the feasibility of uh, using machine learning models to forecast volatility and returns, we will look to expand this research to come up with investable strategies and products. And generally speaking, clients are very interested in not only the model design, but also the model outputs as well. They do see it as uh, value added to their existing trading decisions and would like to incorporate it into their investment process. Brilliant. Well, I'm not surprised, but that's really reassuring to hear that. And you mentioned where our investing clients can find your sentiment data and analysis. That's Smart Bars, and you find it via your Investable AI webpage on JP Morgan Markets. Are there any other pointers you'd like to give our investing clients in terms of where they can access your analysis and your data? I think if clients would like to get updates on our latest research, Investable AI, which is a web page available on JP Morgan Markets, uh, is the best place to do so. As I mentioned, they can find Smart Buzz there. Also, all of the latest research that we discussed on time series forecasting are either already available or will be made available on the website as well. So please be sure to check it out. Well, thank you so much, Peng. I always love these discussions and it's incredible to see how much in-depth work and analysis you're doing around these AI themes. And as we remarked at the beginning, what an incredibly exciting area to be in right now. I know you're in high demand, so thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Brilliant. Thank you also to our listeners for dialing into this bi-weekly podcast from our group. If you have questions or feedback or you'd like to understand more about Peng's work, then please do reach out to either one of us. Otherwise, you can always contact us via our website at jpmorgan.com forward slash market dash data dash intelligence. And with that, we'll close. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Market Matters. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to J.P. Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates, together J.P. Morgan, they are not the product of J.P. Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Referenced products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer. For the avoidance of doubt, opinions expressed by any external speakers are the personal views of those speakers and do not represent the views of J.P. Morgan.